0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak. I'm Jesse, your host, and today we'll be digging into Genesis chapter 41 as we continue our study on the life of Joseph. Now, Pastor, tell me again one of the reasons you're such a salty pastor. And it's maybe not for the same reason some people think.
1: <laughs> I think you love saying that. I do you know? love saying that. Salty. Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that we're to be the salt of the earth, and he says, look, if the salt loses its saltiness, then it's worthless. And it should be thrown out, which I think is really interesting that he makes that comparison. And in some ways, I believe that that uh, the purity of following Jesus Christ in America has uh, been lost, or lo- losing some of its saltiness.
0: So have we lost our saltiness?
1: Well... I think the reason why I would say that American Christianity—I want to clarify that—the form of it has lost some of its saltiness. I mean, you see this in its capacity to influence culture, and you see it in the number of people in America who are turning to Christ. And so, there's something that that uh, the the saltiness, the winsomeness, the flavor of it—you know—because I think what Jesus was was talking about in their culture is that salt has a lot to do with the flavor additive. It makes things taste better Mm -hmm. and it's a preservative. And I think as a preservative and a winsomeness of people to Christ, we've lost some of our saltiness. And I think the reason why is because there's been so much jumping on the bandwagon in the church in America today instead of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. One thing I constantly hear at every conference I go to now, every single one is you are meant to change the world. Be a change agent. You know, you're going to be the person to change the world. And what bothers me about this, and these are Christian conferences that are saying this constantly, is that's actually biblically untrue. Hmm, it's really? not true. What is true is that Jesus is here to change the world. Jesus is the change agent and he even talks about this when he says the comforter will come the comforter the Holy Spirit which is Jesus Christ his divine presence within us uh, due to the doctrine of the Trinity is that he's the one who convicts the world of its sin he's the one who creates transformation he is the wellspring of life I'm not you're not you know all we are are vessels for him and so I think we're here to be salty we're here to season and flavor and enhance by letting the truth of Jesus come out of us and do the changing. And so I think when church in America jumps on the bandwagon, wants to be at the forefront of every social movement, it stops preaching the gospel and it just becomes another political social movement.
0: Great point. Well, that reminds me of our focus today. Our series is about how we should face change happening around us. Mm-hmm. And Joseph's life is one of the best places to learn this. So what is happening in Joseph's life right now?
1: Well, we're in chapter 41, and I think one of the really interesting things about chapter 41 is that we really begin to see a transition in the life of Joseph. Okay? And basically, uh, this is the point where the cupbearer finally remembers two years after he got out of prison with Joseph Two years later, he offers an opportunity uh, to Pharaoh. And what instigates this opportunity is that Pharaoh has a dream. And it's really fascinating to me how explicit detail goes into the dream as it's recounted in the scriptures. So Moses, who is recording this, uh, writing this, he really goes out of his way to express the overt detail of the dream and it basically says look the pharaoh has a dream uh there are seven cows that are just really really healthy they come up out of the river and they graze among the weeds and then seven other cows come and they're really skinny ugly and gaunt and then they end up and they eat the seven sleek cows and then pharaoh wakes up uh then he sees a, a second dream or has a second dream. And this one is seven heads of grain, healthy and good, are growing on a single stalk. And then after them, seven other heads of grain sprout up and they're thin and scorched by the east wind. And then the thin heads of grain swallow up the seven healthy grain. And if you remember last week, last Tuesday, I talked about when God is leading you, you know, or he wants you to do, or saying something sp- specific. His leading is explicit, right. and notice the detail here is extremely explicit. It's not like, oh, I saw this image and it was hazy, foggy. I don't know what There's it an meant.
0: Unknown number. Yeah,
1: it's all. It was very specific. Seven cows that are healthy, seven bad. But he didn't understand the meaning. So the leading was specific, but the understanding or interpretation is what he didn't understand that's an important kind of uh, uh, hermeneutical principle which is uh, how to interpret and understand the actual meaning of the text so the chief cupbearer in verse 9 eventually says yeah I don't want to remind you of when you threw me in prison but I'm going to have to because there is this young Hebrew there and he could interpret dreams and what he did so Pharaoh uh, sends for Joseph in verse 14 Uh, And he was quickly brought out of the dungeon. And what's really interesting here is notice it says he was shaved and bathed, changed his clothes really fast. So he had to be made presentable in that situation. So I think when you see that no one understood the dreams, then they turn to uh, Joseph as an option to come interpret the dream and the dream is all about the future it's about what is going to happen now this kind of reminds me of something pastor harv preached uh on sunday and he he was talking about uh joseph and what's going on in our culture a little bit and he said something that really stuck with me and that was he says what we're seeing right now happening in america is that cultural christianity is being put on trial and it's failing and then he said, celebrity Christianity is being, being put on trial, and it is failing. And that kind of reminds me of what I've said over the last few weeks, and that is fluff is not enough. You know, fluff is not enough. We need to know the very foundational truths of God, because you can't build your life on anything other than those truths. Absolutely. So I think Joseph is sent to interpret, and the leading is very specific or explicit, And so, but the most fascinating thing that Pharaoh says, and this kind of tags on to what Pastor Harv pointed out in his his message last week, is you go before Pharaoh, just get, you've been in prison. You've been a slave for all these years. 17, he was sold into slavery. Now he's about 30 years old. And guess what happens? 13 years of slavery and a big chunk of that in prison and pharaoh calls you out pharaoh's your ticket out right and he knows this because in the last chapter remember he said to the cupbearer tell pharaoh and plead my case because i'm innocent right so he knows Pharaoh's the only one who's going to get him out of this mess and so pharaoh asks him a question and what is the first thing he says verse 16 i cannot do it
0: <laughs> this is your one chance and. In- he chokes, at least that's what it seems. But then we continue see Well, he, he
1: reading, kind right? of senses. it, he turns him down. I mean, oh my goodness. But what he immediately says, I cannot do it, but God can. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And this doesn't mean the favorable thing that Pharaoh was leaning for. Pharaoh was just wanting to understand. Right. And so he says, God is the one who will give you your understanding. So Pharaoh then proceeds to tell and recount the dreams a second time now you have to realize how fascinating this is because writing in you know this period of time was exceedingly expensive and to write something on a papyra at that time uh, was very very difficult to do So why would he recount the dreams twice? I I think that what Moses is getting at is that this is very specific leading of God. There's no question. And then Joseph then says to Pharaoh, he goes, look, verse 25, the dreams Pharaoh have are one and the same. They're one and the same. He says the seven good cows are seven years, the seven bad cows, seven bad years. And then he said to verse 28, and this is where he gets really bold, okay? Because now he knows what God has shown Pharaoh, right? He knows, and he understands what God is saying, right? So he's the interpreter. He's not the creator, right? and he is not the translator, meaning he's not putting any of himself. He is just interpreting what God has already said to Pharaoh. And because of that, he gets really bold in verse 28. He says, God has shown Pharaoh what he is going to do. So this is going to be seven great years of abundance and then seven years of famine that no one has ever seen or experienced before. So that's pretty crazy, you see. And then in verse 33, he even gets more bold and he says, this is what Pharaoh ought to do. And, you know,
0: big uh, dictatorship style leaderships really love being told what to do by
1: (laughs) people they see as lesser than them. I know. I mean, it's just crazy. But he's just so bold because he stood before him saying, you know, this is what you ought to do. And what's really fascinating is verse 37. The plan seemed really good to Pharaoh and all of his officials. So it just wasn't Pharaoh. Every all of his counselors said, You know, that's a great idea. So Pharaoh asks his counselors, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Hmm. And then Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And then it's really amazing because pharaoh does certain things that really shows the transition from slave to ruler first of all he says i i'm going to put you in charge of the whole land of egypt so he gives him his scope of work and responsibility then pharaoh takes his signet ring from his finger and he puts it on joseph's finger this is critically important because in that culture what a signet ring was is it was your legal sign on any document that authenticated it so they would make this big signet ring and what they would do is you would wear it and what it did is it really allowed the culture and civilization to expand and thrive because he could write laws he could write decrees then they would melt wax right and then he put his signet ring on it and then that said okay this has been signed by the pharaoh and so you could issue orders that could be taken out across your uh empire to different places fulfill orders instructions all kinds of things this is also one of the reasons why egypt was such an advanced civilization is they actually had a way to write language and then they had this opportunity to use signet rings to issue orders and it really helped their military become such a powerful military is one of the most powerful uh, uh before Christ was born for, you know, a, a tremendous amount of time. That's why today Egyptian, ancient Egyptian history is such a tremendous field of study because we have so many artifacts. We have so much written language. We, we can learn so much about that culture today. And so the next thing he does is he dresses them in a robe of fine linen, now, linen was really different than Joseph's wool. Joseph's
0: always getting nice clothes, it seems like. <laughs> it seems to be uh, he got got a discerning up. taste.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's a reed. It's a flax reed. And, you know, you can eat flax today, but it would grow in that uh, region. And what they would do is very intensive process. But they would then soak the, the reed, uh, the flax reed, and then they would pound it out. And then they would uh, spin it into thread. Okay, and then they had looms. Looms have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They had basic looms, and so then they would weave these linen garments. And what's really interesting is that uh, is that the color of your garment when it was freshly made would be kind of like a light green, kind of a greenish color, because that was the color of the reed, and so that became a status symbol until they really started to learn how to make other textiles and dye them and dye them yeah yeah so in the time of christ you know purple was a huge deal and uh when we went to barcelona uh we were in barcelona for a while we took a tour of uh ancient outpost of rome that they found and they uncovered it you you go down this elevator and it's just amazing because you go down two floors in two thousand years and you can see it's all excavated and open down there. And, you can, and what was so amazing about it, it shows how they made wine. And the biggest thing is, is how they dyed textiles. And so they used urine because it has a lot of ammonia in it. Mm-hmm. And they talk about how certain colors would uh, were easy to make. But the most difficult color, the most expensive of all, was purple. So the only people that could wear purple, were usually the Roman emperors are very, very high uh, Senate leaders or whatever, very, very wealthy right, people because it was so difficult to make. So now that isn't happening here because this is probably 2000 years before that happened, 1500 years before that. Uh, so, so it's been a long time before. So he has, he has him wear these robes and then he puts a gold chain around his neck. Now I'd like to say this gold chain that he puts around his neck, was probably like an open collar. It was probably anywhere from five to six inches thick. Wow. So it's just this massive bib is really kind of what it was like. Um, so today's wrappers and their gold chains had nothing on oh, Joseph. No. <laughs> <laughs> but they had a lot of metallurgy back then. Gold was very popular. Lots of gold in Egypt. Another reason why they were uh, so powerful. So he gives him... The signet ring, which basically says, okay, now you have the authority to issue all the orders, and everybody will have to follow them. Number two, you are now dressed in robes of linen. So now that's a status symbol. I'm moving you up the social ladder to the top. Number three, the gold chain around around your neck shows you the prestige and power you have. So you just don't have authority, you're just not on the thing, but you also have that prestige of that gold thing. And then he caps it all off by making him a part of the ruling class. He goes, verse 45, I give Joseph a new name. It's a Zephana Paniah. And it basically means God discerns or God knows. So he's basically saying you can interpret what God is saying. So he gives him a new name. And then he gives him as a wife Asenath, who is the daughter of Potipharah, who was the priest of On. And the priest of On was the top priest of all the priesthood class in Egypt at this time. And so he, by marrying in to this, he is elevated. And this is also a very important archaeological thing to understand in that culture, is that the Pharaoh was considered to be not just the ruler, but a god as well. And that's why they built these pyramids these giant monuments these giant monuments because they were going to go into the afterlife and they wanted to go with all their wealth and all their prestige because they're actually gods here on earth and that would be translated on so joseph was 30 years old when all of this happened and joseph really was able to be elevated in a way that you could I mean, no one could really imagine from slave to now really one of the most powerful, prestigious, authoritative people in all of Egypt.
0: In all ways, because it was, you know, with the religious wife, yes. uh, with the the gold, the linen, the all of this, he was basically yeah. taken from the lowest of the low and elevated to the highest place below just Pharaoh, basically. And even getting there, it wasn't a thing where he was striving for it. He He had that transformation you talked about earlier where it was like, originally he had talked about, you know, this is my dream, all about me. And he's had such a transformation of heart where Mm -hmm. he goes from this gift is my deal to this gift's God's deal. And that wasn't the way you would normally think. It's another subversion where you're like, oh, well, he's going to amp himself up. He's going to be like, I am the best. He's like, no, this isn't me. I just, you know, I'm just doing what God's leading through me. And Pharaoh elevates him to this. A
1: tremendous transformation of heart. You see that. Because you know the last thing you want to do is give power and authority to a narcissist. Yeah. Well, and Never Pastor Harv. Well.
0: Yeah, and Pastor Harv talked a lot about that on Sunday about you know Joseph kind of had a lineage of narcissism and deceit and all this mm-hmm. stuff, and so it was ingrained in him. And yet God transformed his heart through all of these experiences, through all these changes.
1: And it was, and it was, uh, you know, I like how Pastor Harv pointed out, and and I talked a little bit about it. I didn't really dig into it as much as Harv did. Is that uh, th- his narcissism and selfishness was a result of his family of origin. Right. So, as my mama would say, he got it honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but, th- you know, there's just so many really amazing things about what's going on here. And I think the re- this, this, is, this chapter is transformational to Moses because he's showing how he, Joseph, completely trusts God and, and serves God now as a complete vessel. And then how, because of that, he is completely transformed by Pharaoh.
0: Absolutely. So is there any archeolo- archaeological evidence for how this all happened? Do we see any of that?
1: Well, there, there, like I said earlier, there's a lot of archaeological evidence. For a long time, critics used to talk about how, well, we have such a vast... A collection of stuff from ancient egypt and there's never been any mention of plagues or devastation and stuff but what is happening now is they've been discovering even more and more and it's really amazing that they discovered a that for a long period of time the military in ancient egypt was just no one could stop them they were overwhelmingly powerful okay and then there was some event that happened around the time of the exodus where they immediately ceased to be any type of military threat and Mm -hmm. so it created all this turmoil out there because they made clouds and if you remember in the exodus they chase the israelites down to the red Red sea Sea. and then their entire army is wiped out in one blink so we're starting to see a lot more archaeological evidence of, of the Hebrews staying. And the other thing, too, is that the Egyptian language was different than the Hebrew language. And so the the they're starting to realize is that in Egyptian, they used a form of a word called, uh, it, it wasn't quite a Hittite, but it was like Hittite. Mm-hmm. And so they're starting to see that. And they think the reason why is because it was kind of like a slur you know like a put down right kind of a thing so uh they're starting to see that so uh, more and more evidence is being presented about that this uh, that the israelites were there so now what this means is we have extant biblical confirmation right and so that's always really amazing yeah so
0: so what are the principles you think will be the salt in our lives today
1: well i think a couple of things number one is that this, this transition tells us a tremendous amount about slavery in the ancient world. I mean, we, we, are, we can see in real life how slavery actually worked. Now on Thursday, I'm gonna dig into a little bit more about uh, the scourge of slavery in, in all of human history. But the first thing is this, is that if you want to find your purpose in life, if you really want to find out why you're here then you need to stop focusing on your exceptional place in it. And what I mean by that is this, is that everybody wants to find their purpose in life because in when they find it, they're going to be the hero of their own story. They're going to be the young Joseph. Right. You know, well, I finally know what I'm doing. I feel so good about myself because, uh, well, all you're doing is feeding your own sense of narcissism and that never helps you find true meaning and purpose in life. It's never found in getting what you want or what you think you want because the you that wants stuff is never what the real you needs to find meaning and purpose did you catch all that yes okay
0: (laughs) that's a little crazy break it down for a second but i think we're good
1: yeah the you that that you think you are is not the you that you really are and the you that you think you are if it gets what it wants is counter to what the you that you really are needs
0: it's a lot of if uh, you're, you're pumping yourself up to be something, to fit a shape that you're not necessarily are. Right. Does that make sense? You
1: think that's what you are. It's like, yeah. I'll be so happy if I'm famous. And then we go around, we see all these famous people who go, well, I'm miserable. They're, yeah, they are. <laughs> I'll be happy if I have money, if I have just a little bit more money, you know. Um, I'll be happy. And then you have more money now than you did five years ago. And are you more happy? Well, actually, most people aren't. So it's really amazing that way and 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 so if you really want to find your meaning and purpose in life stop focusing on your exceptional place in your purpose discover what you're good at look at how God uses uh you to season the life of others and then ask Jesus for opportunities to serve other people and season their life with blessing and truth and honesty and, and integrity. That way you become a, a salt that not only preserves the truth of God, but what it also does is it enhances the flavor of their life and yours so that's a good principle. That's a great principle. <laughs> the second one is this, is that you're not gonna, you're really not going to see God work outside of community. Now, here's something that I really want outside you to— Outside
0: of community, just general community, community of faith?
1: B- both. Okay. Uh, today, I would say predominantly community of faith. But notice how Joseph had this gift given to him by God, right? Right. So he he uses it selfishly in his family. And what's the result?
0: He gets thrown in a hole and sold into slavery and spends a lot of time thinking
1: about what he did. (laughs) He was in a long time out. (laughs) He was in a really long time out. (laughs) Then the second thing that happens is in his time out, he changes and he learns this is God's gift. It's not my gift. Right. And so in that point, so then he uses it. And we don't see any complaining in that two years when he uses that gift. Then he's brought, so, but he uses it. What did he have to, what did he have to do to use his gift? He had it to be in community or in relationship with the cupbearer and the baker. Right. And then to use his gift with Pharaoh, what did he have to be? He got shaved, cleaned up, but he had to be in the presence or community mm. of Pharaoh. Okay. <laughs> and so, You know, when you're given a gift by God, you know, Harv said this uh, last Sunday. He says, look, when you're given, it's not for your benefit. It is to be a blessing to others. Mm. And if you don't if you don't grab on. And so you have to be in community. Uh, One thing I've heard in the last 24 years that I've lived in Idaho and been the pastor of this church. I run into a lot of people who love the outdoors. And I meet people at weddings and funerals and social events and stuff like this. They find out I'm a pastor. And the thing is, oh, are are you involved anywhere? No, no, I don't need church. You know, uh, nature is my church. Nature is my church. Or they'll say, no, that's not my thing. You know, I I connect with God in other ways. And when I was young, you know, I was like, oh, man, that's a great story. Now I'm kind of salty and I'm saying you obviously don't understand God at all. Because if you're going to find your purpose in God... God has given you a gift. You have a gift, but it's not for your benefit. It's to bless others. And if you don't figure that out, you're not going to connect with God in nature. You're not going to connect with God because God wants to move through you. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to enhance your own selfishness.
0: You're a conduit. You're not a, you're not an end
1: point. Yeah. Don't get spiritually constipated. (laughs) That's salty right there. We,
0: we bring all of the greatest uh, metaphors in the salty pasture.
1: That's right. So the best Metamucil you can take is community. Okay, be, be in community with people. You need to be in discipleship. You need to be in community with people. And I'm telling you right now, the world is trying to stop you from being in community. You know, And you, you don't need to be in a room with 100 people. You just need to be in community with five other people. I call it the principle of the five and these are five people that you pray for that you you try to bless and you try to use the gift that god gave you to season their life so and and that's why the fourth principle is this is notice what joseph said to pharaoh in the very most important critical moment i cannot do it he turns him down never be afraid of knowing and speaking truth Hmm. that's a critical principle that will change your life And it's not the truth that you think you know.
0: It's not your truth. It's It's not your truth.
1: truth. It's the truth. And that means it comes from God. Interpretation is God's deal. Truth is God's deal. It's not my deal.
0: It's not relative.
1: It's not relative. It's God's. So that, I think, are some of the most important principles that you could really take away from this. And we're going to dig and do more broad messaging on Sunday about it. But if you're listening to this podcast today, I hope it really helps you read this chapter and get more out of it and prepare you for what we're going to do on Sunday.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, As always, please, please leave a five-star review. Um, Subscribe get that algorithm boosted so people can benefit from this podcast because we're, we're talking about some very important things that are very important to people in this time of their life. And the best way to get it in front of them is to use the algorithm. And that's through you leaving your reviews, your five-star ratings and subscribing and liking and commenting. So Amen. if you have questions, um, I had someone actually talk to me the other day and they're like, well, I had a question about this and I told them you leave it in the comment because we read those comments and Um, We can either reach out to you in the comments and answer the question, or we may may even discuss them on the podcast at a later time to clarify. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll Mm -hmm. see you on Thursday for episode 12.
1: Always being salty. God bless you.